come back Your dreams were your ticket out Welcome back To that same old place that you laughed about Well, the names have all changed since you hung around But those dreams have remained and they've turned around Who'd have thought they'd lead ya? Who'd have thought they'd lead ya? Make sure you call in three four fourteen fifty, and we are uh, we're, we're I'm sitting here with Anthony Thornton. Anthony, how's it going today? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I just want to let everybody know not only are we live in Louisville on fourteen fifty WXVW, but we are also live in Evansville on thirteen thirty WVHI. Welcome to all our friends in Evansville. We're on a we're on a syndicated radio show. How does that make you feel? To you know, just oh, that's it's great. Yeah, that's great. It's fantastic. So and. Uh, Besides being a, a former Kentucky football player, Anthony, you're also an avid golfer. I try. Yeah? So uh, we got to make sure that everyone knows that we have a Derby Week special on the Sports Buzz golf card. You can now buy the Indiana golf card for $75. This card includes a round with cart at Chariot Run, the Jeffersonville Elks, Valley View, and Christmas Lake in Santa Claus, Indiana. And you can also buy the Kentucky card for $115, and that would include... Uh, round with cart at Chariot Run, Heritage Hill, the Polo Fields, Glen Oaks, and Woodhaven. Both cards are $190. That's a, that's a hell of a deal. Some good courses. Yeah? I don't know anything about it. You know more about those golf courses than I do. But, uh, you know, I just, uh, it's a lot of opportunities hey, to go out and smoke cigars. Chariot Run had a, had a lot of good uh, feedback on their greens. That's why their superintendent's now at Valhalla. Oh, is that really? So I didn't, I didn't see, I didn't even know that. Now we've got Anthony here dropping the golf knowledge. But we're going to hopefully have Anthony drop a little football knowledge because tomorrow is the University of Kentucky spring game. Uh, a lot of optimism. I don't know if they're going to have the turnout and fans they did last year. But I still think there's going to be a pretty good crowd. I don't know. if some, Being in the day might hurt them a little bit, but they'll have a good amount of people out there. I, I hope so. Uh, I know the feedback that I've gotten is they've given away a ton of tickets. But it's just a matter of now of seeing who shows up. Right. But weather's beautiful. Middle of the day. May hurt them, but hopefully it'll be a good turnout. It's going to be like close to 80. I mean, it's going to be yeah. sunny, 80. It's just going to be a great day to be out there and tailgate a little bit and get your first look at Drew Barker, some of the other young cats. Thaddeus Snodgrass is there. And, uh, and see if, uh, you know, if everything Mark Stoops says, that they're way ahead of where they were last year. You know, I was up at practice last Friday and – I tell you what, it makes a difference. I was talking with Chad Scott, the running back coach, and I told him I see more pop out of players that it, it just wasn't there last year or two years ago. There's more players that you can see that they belong. You can see that pop. You can see that extra, that extra step that they have. Um, not all of them are ready to play football right now, but there's a different level of athleticism on the team right now. That's and, for sure. And when you've played so many young guys and they've had to be forced into playing SEC football as young guys, you know, obviously – as that experience grows, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look good for Kentucky. Now, that's obviously not the, the news of the day. I mean, we do want to spend a lot of time talking a little bit about the spring game tomorrow for UK. The news of the day, though, just broke two hours ago. The Twins are coming back. The Twins are coming back to UK, and this is going to be one of the most talented Kentucky teams that I certainly can remember. i got to put it up there with the 96 team. Well, they, they used to talk about the 96 team had uh, – their scrimmages were tougher than their games. 
I think that's we've joked about it a little bit, but this is hands down the deepest team that we've had in years. And I think they're I think the scrimmages are going to be amazing. Nine McDonald's All Americans on this group, and it's just going to be a, a, an incredible. And you and when you got juniors and sophomores leading the way, uh, I'm just so excited. I mean, two juniors, Willie Colley Stein, Alex Poitras, both of them have had very unique experiences at Kentucky. You know, I think a lot of it was Willie missing out in the in the tournament run last year. He's he's fueled by that, and when Willie's motivated, he's you know he's an unbelievable talent on the floor. That's been the knock on him the whole time is that he not a he doesn't love basketball. He's not always motivated by it. Uh, if if the, not being able to play in that tournament maybe lit a fire under him. And then Alex coming back as a junior and going to get a chance to play the perimeter. There's so many there's so many big guys. I got to think that Alex Poitras is going to get the majority of his minutes at the three spot. And uh, now you're talking about a Kentucky team going six five six five at both guards, six nine at the three. And then, you know, could throw anything from 6'9 to 7' foot at the other two positions. I mean, it, that's a long, long, talented athletic team. I think the only scenario he plays the four is if it's just purely a matchup issue. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I just don't see really where uh, the minutes are there. you got to – man, it's just – it's that front court is so stockpiled with guys. And, you know, you would have to think that – I mean, there's the possibility that you start Dakari and Willie Cauley-Stein together. And uh, your starting forwards could be Willie Colley Stein and uh, and Alex Poitras, and then Dakari playing the post. That is that's a big freaking team. But then you still got Carl Towns, you know. And and the, the good thing about Carl Towns, yes, he is a center. That guy can shoot it. I mean, he can step outside, and out of that whole group, he might be the best three point shooter they got out of that. You know, talk listening to Cal talk about how he didn't define roles early enough. I don't think that'll be a problem for next year. I think that I think that'll be the first conversation he has is you're going to have a role and this is what it's going to be, and I think it's for some of them it's cut and dry obvious. Devin Booker, his job is going to be to be ready to shoot. He's a designated shooter. Uh, I think the guard. I think the, the twins they're going to have to move around and play a little bit of one and three and one and two. Yep. Based on situations and everything else, but. I think he'll have roles for every one of these kids defined very, very early. Which is good for the Twins because it's going to give them a chance to really showcase their versatility and, uh, and the, what, what they can really do on the basketball court. And you've got to think that the way that, especially the way Aaron closed out the year, that he's going to be all kinds of preseason accolades and all that kind of stuff and right up, you know, All-American list and that kind of things. And it, it's just, it could be really good for him. And so now you take this team. And, I, you know, I guess the big knock that I've heard potentially with this group is you know how are you going to get them all to have the chemistry and share and play together but i think with the struggles that the that this group went through last year and they had to figure it out and then when they figure it out they saw how much fun it's going to be that's going to create some unbelievable leadership i think for next year and these kids will know hey they'll be able to accelerate the process i guess with just four new kids coming in instead of 10 new kids coming in and a lot of guys come back knowing how practices work, know what it's going to be like. You know, people forget they, the Twins weren't even in Lexington last summer. No. I mean, they didn't even get the benefit of playing together all summer long. Well, the other big, big benefit this year is you said four freshmen uh, that are they're all going to have their roles early. I, I said that already, obviously, but that's important. And not only is it important, they get that trip this year. So they get that extra month of practice together. Right. So they will they will know where they stand rather than going into three weeks short of practice time and figuring out what they're supposed to do, what they're supposed to learn, how, how they need to adjust their game. 
they're going to have a better idea earlier on, I think. Yeah, and I just think that uh, that that trip is a great point too because 2012, I think that trip really helped him out a ton. 2013, Louisville got to do it, and they they went on for the national title. UConn, I think, made the trip last year. If I if I don't if I'm not I, mistaken, I think you're right. I think over here, and Ollie got to take them on his first year coaching, and they were talking about the advantage of that. So, uh, you know, I, I'd love to actually see that statistically break down. How many of these teams that win national titles get the chance to take that summer trip? Because I bet. A bunch of them do. And uh, getting that summer trip, getting the chance to bond, you know, when you're taking out, it's not just the practice time and, and being able to go out and, and play together, but when you're taking out of your element and nothing, and everything's foreign to you and you've got this group of guys, you're almost forced to kind of come together because everything else is so different. And uh, having that kind of experience on the road, I just think would be, it's going to be huge for them. And now they can eat as much as they want to. Uh, that, that could cause some problems. <laughs> it, you, you talk about the, the bonding part and, and it taking them out of their element. When, when a football team goes to camp and they're completely taking their cell phones away, put them in a dorm room, put them all in one area together, it, makes a, it, it creates a bonding atmosphere. Basketball doesn't typically have that unless they go to a Maui Invitational, unless they go on these, these trips. I think that's why it does make such a huge difference. And Cal, of course, doesn't even like to do those November tournaments I, I, for whatever reason. He's got his reasons, but he obviously still plays top-notch non-conference schedule, so uh, the guys definitely get a chance to see him. But I think in the past that's been because he didn't know exactly what he was going to have in November, and that's fair. Uh, now with this group coming back and experience, I'm sure it's a little too late. I would love to see this group get the chance to go to do a Maui or something like that, and, and hopefully we'll, we'll hear... Uh, something about that uh, in the near future. This, but this team, it didn't take long. So the Twins came back. I think it took less than six minutes for me to then hear someone mention 40-0. And if I have a, a beef with my fellow Kentucky fans, and you're a huge Kentucky fan as well, sometimes you just got to sit back and enjoy the journey. You know, let them come together and let them experience the season and, you know, no one wants to lose, and no coach plans on losing. But not all losses are bad. I mean, I, in some ways, I think the the South Carolina game was kind of us hitting rock bottom last year, and they needed to hit that rock bottom so they could bounce. And when they bounced, they bounced pretty high, and and then showed what they were capable of. You know, I I said it to somebody, and I I think I thank Florida for for showing Kentucky how they had to play at the last game of the at season, the last couple. I mean, all yeah. of them. They, I, think, I think between the times that they played Florida, the last game and in the tournament, I think they learned so much in those two games what they needed to do because there was not a single star player on that Florida team. No, I think that they had, had a, a lot of really nice players, yeah, but no stars. But that yeah. had to be a great point for Cal to say, look, you just got beat, and how many of these guys are going to be first-rounders? Maybe none of them. Well, actually, I don't think any one of them, not right away. I mean, I guess you have a chance of a Charles Walker down the line. Not Charles Walker. Um, Chris Walker down the line being a, a, a first-round draft pick. But, yeah, Patrick Young's not a first-round draft pick. He's a second-round pick. Scotty Wilkins not going to get picked no, at all. No, he won't get picked. And, uh, I mean, you definitely have – Prather probably won't get picked at all. Prather's a great shooter, but, but – He's not an NBA player. Not. So you had all these guys that, uh, knew, again, knew their roles, and they were out, you know, and, and knew their roles so well that two of those guys, Wilkins and Prather, were mentioned to be SEC Player of the Year. I mean, I – I, I totally agree. I mean, I think that there was a huge part of it. So, Kentucky fans, no 40 no Slow talk. down. We don't need any 40 no talk. We just need to, you know, enjoy the journey and enjoy the special season that could come up. I and mean, you know, there's going to be ups and downs, but 
just like when you you have a broken bone, you have to have the stress in the uh, on the bone for it to heal properly. So for this team to really come together, there has to be those hurdles for them to jump, those obstacles to overcome. And if, uh, if they, that happens, they're going to have a really special year. And uh, it's going to take, you know, I'm, Duke's going to be good, but they're going to be young. I, I just don't know. I mean, I, I'm not sure Wisconsin's going to be good, but they're, I think Kentucky's going to be so much better than they were last year. It's, it's hard to imagine really who competes with them, but I'm sure someone's going to step up and get them. No, I, think it'll, I think you'll have a similar situation this year. There'll be eight to ten teams that people feel like have a legitimate chance. I think it's usually that way. I mean, even when you have a top-notch team like Kentucky was in 2012, you, you still can't. You can't bank on that. You can't ever bank on one team being that dominant over everybody right. else. You still have to play the game, and there's still shots that if they don't go down, it changes everything. Well, you also know, too, like once you get in a conference play, those opponents know you so well, and they have, they have every tendency you have down, and conference play is completely different than non-conference play. Um, that's, you know, I know Louisville's had some really nice wins in football, but until you can go into a conference where the, and it's because it's the same thing in football. I mean, you know, as a Kentucky football player, you know the Alabamas, the LSUs, the Tennessees, what they're going to do, their personnel, way better than, than you do your other teams that you're going up against. And so, uh, same thing in basketball, you have to be able to get through that conference play. And now that we've got uh, Bruce Pearl, you know, bringing, coming back in, you know, Auburn's going to be on the rise. I don't think there's any doubt. Tennessee's uh, probably going to fall. I don't know. I, I, Johnny Tindall, you don't, you're not happy with that? I, it, it's, it's not about the hire. I think that they're, he, got, he walked into a situation that he can't win. His, he's not going to be able to win his first year or two. Not necessarily that he can't win games. He's, I just I think mean, it's a no-win situation for he's him He's losing right Stokes and, and, and Jordan McRae, and he's got a, a young Robert Hubbs who had to sit out a lot last year injured. But they're, uh, I, I, like the, I like the hire of Donnie Tindall if they give him. I, I agree. Like, I think next year could be a struggle, but if he gets out and, and gets after it the way I think he can, he could be a, <laughs> a big get for them. Uh, it's it's going to be tough forever at Tennessee just because Bruce Pearl's back in the SEC, and they're they're always going to be looking at Auburn to see what Bruce Pearl's doing. I mean that's that's the fact of He's it. He's a character, and he hogs all the limelight. You know, people have talked about who would replace Cal, and from a personality standpoint, he would have to. He's be big up enough. There. He's big enough for the job, and uh, I don't know if if he could really be the guy, but you know, if I'm a Kentucky fan, I wouldn't shy away from that conversation. So. Um, you know, because you don't know, Kyle, now this could totally rejuvenate Kyle, and he could be here another four or five years. But, you know, he's probably here another two or three. The biggest recruit we're waiting for is his son. If, <laughs> his, son, if his son Brad comes on the team, then, <laughs> then we know, know he's around that, for that a while. Could, that could change everything. That's right. That's true. So Brad uh, is recovering from knee surgery right now. So, uh, it, But uh, if you're a Cats fan and you're happy the Twins are coming back, call us in, 384-1450. If you're a Cards fan or a Hoosier fan and you want to talk about how, you know, how this Kentucky team is not going to be able to get done, or what you, whatever your argument might be uh, for you know against Kentucky here. Let's hear it. Three, four, fourteen, fifty is the Oxmoor Ford Lincoln Buzz Line. We're going to head to our first break, and we'll be right back here on fourteen fifty the Sports Buzz.
All right, we're back here on Fourth Bacon, and we're uh, we're talking again. We have uh, the Twins coming back to the Lexington. Everyone's uh, everyone's happy in the blue blue Big Blue Nation. Big Blue Nation first. What do you think about the whole Big Blue Nation first initiative? I think uh, Barnhart definitely is looking to see what it's going to take to keep uh, keep the fans interested in coming to the games. Yeah, I think that's that's the that's been the. That's been one of the biggest concerns, my understanding, across all of athletic directors. So I think they're looking to see what the best fit is, what they need to change or do differently or whatever else to make sure that they can get fans to the games. Make the fan experience special so that they don't choose the 72-inch exactly. HDTV or the you know 15,000-square-foot screen of Churchill Downs, which is unbelievable. Uh, yeah, just, uh, yeah, I agree. I think they're trying to make it, the fans a part of it, and as they should, I mean, College sports, well, pro sports, all sports at that level exist because the fans demand it, you know. Uh, and that's why I never get upset when people, when fans say we. I don't ever get upset with that because they, they fans should say we. Because if it's not, the fans aren't there, guess what? Those guys aren't getting paid. They're not on TV. You know, they're just playing in some gym somewhere, and they might be keeping score, but it's going to be like uh, going to watch, you know, St. Albert versus St. Rita on the, the fifth and sixth grade basketball at CSAA. I mean, there's no difference. So uh, the fans should have the chance to say we and be a part of the experience and stuff like that. And I, I heard a lot of uh, you know loyal fans saying that Kentucky copied over you know with the, the L1C4 loyal first cards forever. To me, it's a totally different initiative. Yeah, this is, this isn't trying to brand anything, right? Yeah, they're not trying to create a brand for for Kentucky. Kentucky has enough brands. They're not worried about that. This this is an initiative to get the fans involved and make them understand that they have a voice collectively instead of Mitch Barnhart getting 7,000 individual emails. Let's condense the information so he can look at a report and say what's really important to everyone. Right. And they're going out and they're trying to, they're surveying the fans, getting as much information as they can. And, uh, and I like it, you know, some ways Kentucky lacks some tradition, especially in football. Like I wish they had some cooler things that some of the other SEC schools do. And, of course, you know, they have the really cool traditions like the wildcat on top of the pyramid with the K flag behind them and they turn around and all that kind of stuff. But if you went to a game at Rupp Arena last year and you went to a game at Rupp Arena 15 years ago, it's the exact same timeout routines. <laughs> I mean, it's the exact same game experience that's been around forever. And at some point, you have to kind of uh, evolve, I guess. Well, and I think you'll, you know, that, again, that's, that's something else that these – athletic departments are pushing to restructure their stadiums, restructure their arenas. And part of it is to get certain people out of the positions they're in to move the average fan to a different position versus the people who have had the same tickets for 40 years. Right. And some of that's in all honesty needed, especially Kentucky and the blue hairs, huh? And yep. it, you know, put them up in the suites. Yep. You know, I, and I don't know. The young center did a great job with that, yeah. by the way. I think there's, you know, and that's why they have incredible energy right around the floor, you know. It's still expensive as hell to sit right there oh, on yeah. the floor, but, you know, they got some passionate people that are sitting down there. I'd be interested to see how they, how they end up doing, how they, how they handle it when they actually do get to renovate, restructure that, because I think they want to get more students around the court, but you've got to do it in a way that it doesn't hurt you funding wise, too, though. Right. Exactly. And I don't know that the end zones or the, the one end zone is really the best option. I'd be interested to see what other options they come up with. You know, but at the same point there, too, those those students didn't show up. Those students didn't show up for football games. Oh, beginning of the year, and basketball was horrible. Basketball was terrible. And it's like, you know, I, I don't get that. 
You know, I mean, uh, you've got four years of where these teams are really kind of yours. And take advantage of every second you get. I remember talking to uh, guys from Auburn and uh, some other SEC schools, and they were talking about how they, they really did, just like Texas A&M, they did almost cheer practices the night before in the stadium. Actually, now I went to the Notre Dame USC game where Matt Liner pushed Reggie Bush across, or Reggie Bush pushed Matt Liner, or whatever, whichever one it was, across the uh, goal line, and that's exactly what happened the night before. Notre Dame always has that pregame pep rally, but this was different because I've been to those pep rallies. This was inside. Usually, they're inside the Joyce, the basketball arena. This was inside Notre Dame Stadium. You know, there was fifty-five thousand people there, and they were telling us exactly how we needed to act the entire time. And we were so the Notre Dame fans were so loud. When USC had the ball, it, it affected them. Oh, there's no doubt. I, I'd, I'd love to see UK adopt something like a, a a student party the night before the game. It doesn't have to be a cheer practice. It'll it'll mold into that, but do something to get the students there the night before, get them involved, and then tell them they can set up their tailgates early and they come back early the next morning. And they kind of did that. Then they, they just loosened the alcohol policy a little bit. Okay. I'm interested to see how that one turns out. I, I think you know that was a mix of getting too involved and still having the ability to punish people when they're doing things off campus too. It was a combination right. of both. Yeah. But they, they needed to create more space for some of the students so that they didn't have to continue to enforce things that they really shouldn't have to worry about. Right. Exactly. All right. So uh, we had the announcement that the twins were coming back, but they were not the only ones that made announcements today. So the big one besides the twins was Michigan center, Mitch McGarry, who had to sit out a lot of last year with an injury kind of being forced into the NBA. Tell me what you think about this rule. He tested positive for a drug test in the NCAA tournament, which subjects him to a year ban from playing sports. If that happens during the season, not during the, during the postseason, then he only gets three games. Well, that, had, that would be a Michigan policy. Right. Every, every school is different. Kentucky is actually one of the toughest on on marijuana in the SEC, in the country, really. They're actually one of the toughest ones. There's some schools that don't have a single penalty for getting tested positive on marijuana until maybe your third or fourth time. Every school's different. They're allowed to set that themselves. And but when it comes to NCAA, it's, it is what it is. So you get into that term and the NCAA catches you. You know, it's, it was a whole different ball game. And so Mitch got busted. I'm sure, like we were talking off the air, he didn't think he was going to get tested because he wasn't playing. Uh, positive test came up, and now he's kind of forced to go to the draft. Probably a second-round pick, but a guy who will get selected. I mean, I don't oh, think there's absolutely. any question. Absolutely. Uh, you know, this is a guy you, people got to remember. Kentucky wanted really bad. Oh, we needed him, too. And he was one of the top five players in the country and then had a, had a serious drop in the rankings. Um, his senior, his actually fifth year of high school. Talking a little bit about fifth years at the break, too. And, uh, and he, you know, he, he went to Michigan, struggled a little bit early, but came on late. And, uh, you know, but a guy who has got some uh, potential there, he'll get, definitely get picked up. But, uh, you know, the NCAA is going to have to look at that in some way so they don't force a kid into. I think you've got to make it tough enough that you deter a kid from making a bad choice. But you also got to make it lenient enough where it doesn't come back and bite you in the butt. Because that could have been a kid that would have came back and could have been know a major player in the NCAA and you know he made a don't excuse it but I think a marijuana thing is a very minor offense 
you know, it's not the first time that the NCAA's had these rulings, though. No. I mean, it, it, they, they set themselves in stone when they want to, and then they don't when they don't want to. And for some reason, this is a rule that, they, to be honest with you, they probably hadn't even looked at this rule <laughs> in probably. the last couple of years. It hadn't been an issue because nobody in their right mind right before the tournament is going to do that. Right. But you're going to be as focused as you can be. Yeah. I mean, you're going to try to be ready to compete. Right. And they just caught a rare thing. Yeah, he, he didn't know that he was going to be playing. He didn't know he was going to be dressing. He didn't know he could be tested just by being on the trip. By traveling. And, and that's bad luck. It's kind of funny because I know, like, and I know that you're, you're limited to how many people you can travel in these NCAA tournament games. And that's why, uh, you know, we saw like, a couple years ago, Van Trees was hurt. He wasn't on the bench, but he was there. Um, who was the other kid? The, the, the kid that was the best high school shooter, Mike Mara. <laughs> So he same thing, right? He went. He was there in New Orleans, but he, you know, wasn't dressed, wasn't dressed, and wasn't officially with the team, uh, but not on, you know, because he wasn't on the bench. But yeah, once you're on that bench, I guess you're fair game. So uh, Mitch going, DeAndre Daniels from UConn going. Is that kid ready? I, you know, I didn't think he was personally, but he's de- he's he's talented. He's a talented kid. There's no I doubt think about he's it. in danger going undrafted. I. I you know, I haven't. To be honest with you, I didn't. I didn't think he was coming out, so I haven't looked at it enough to know. And I just feel like he's a guy who could go undrafted. And when I look at those guys who, you know, there's a Derby Classic guy who's going out this year, Jakar Sampson, who's going to go undrafted. And you've got to wonder what the other circumstances are going on there. I mean, you've got to think that there has to be an eligibility issue. You know, they might not be academically coming back anyway. You know, we've we've seen that in the past. You know, Jason Osborne type deal and. uh Hopefully, that's not the case, but it works out for both those guys. I know in Jakar Samson's case, he wanted to go and say just even if he was playing overseas, he was going to be making money. So, and that's the way a lot there of it could are. be a family situation. Yeah, they got to go out and they got to make their, make their money. All right, I'm, we're going to cut this segment a little bit short because I want to be able to save the whole thing next segment strictly on the spring game. We're going to talk all UK football. Coming back after the break, we'll be right back on 1450 The Sports Bus. here in St. Matthews, and we've got a, a great buffet spread provided by Salsaritas out there. Got some tacos out there, and I'm just letting you know, they're, they're willing to cater. So if you have a graduation party, you've got a big group coming over for Mother's Day, you've got a derby party, Oaks, whatever it is, Salsarita will take care of the food for you uh, for just, just under $8 a person, too. I mean, so you get a great spread uh, with uh, taco shells, tortillas, Chicken, beef, rice, black beans, all the fixings. Make sure that you uh, you call Sauceritas for all your catering needs. So uh, we're excited to be out here. And also, just a quick reminder, too, about our golf cart being on sale. If you want to get a to the quarterback, it always does. I remember a few years ago, Will Fiddler had a really good spring game, and everybody got really excited. And 
Will Fiddler was a good quarterback, but he Anderson was Anderson County, right? Is that the kid? I uh, believe that's right. Yeah, yeah, and he he never really got a shot at being a starter, right? You know, I mean, he he was a good he was a good player, but he just had a great spring game, and it was a lot of it was who he was in there with at the time. You know, that's the hard thing about these spring games; you can't control the matchups. They try to, but you're going to have players who just physically are going to be able to get around somebody and, and create a play that looks bigger than it is when the coaches go back on film and look at it. Yeah, because, I mean, we're not playing against LSU or Tennessee. We're playing against, you know, most of the time it's going to be Kentucky's first-string offense, I guess, against their second-string defense. So, uh, and Kentucky's defense is improving, but it's still not not world beaters by any point. No, but there's some talent. The... uh I tell you, one of the guys that impressed me the other day in practice was uh, Melvin Lewis, the defensive tackle, as a JUCO transfer. Yeah, and you know, Corey Johnson got all the publicity when as a JUCO defensive tackle, but uh, Melvin looked like he was ready. He looked to play. like he was like he was ready to go. Now that's the one position that Stoops is really excited about. That D line, it sounds like he's really thrilled about what he's got there. I'll be interested to see how they play it because I, I have a feeling you're going to see a multiple formation next year. I think you'll see some four three, some three four, and I think you'll see some nickel. And I don't, I don't think, I think there'll be a lot of package package changes happen. I think you'll see Jason Hatcher play a lot of the three four on the outside, and I think you'll see them play a very big defensive line when they do that. So when he was when speaking of Hatcher, because there's been a lot of rumors about him being moved to linebacker. I mean, is that something you're going to see, or is he going to be kind of that hybrid that kind of goes back and forth? I think he's a hybrid kid right now. I yeah. think uh, until he until he becomes the defensive end until he gets his weight up to the the size that he needs to be to be the defensive end he's going to be a speed rush a weak side defensive end or he's going to be a a line outside linebacker in that kind of formation but i i think it's he's he's perfect for that role and and, and he'll get the weight you know you look at bud dupree bud dupree's 270 pounds almost now and still runs a four or five it, you know when you put it on the right way over the course of four years which hatcher's going to do then he he'll be able to play that full defensive end, you know, when Bud leaves and when Zadarius leaves. Well, that's Zadarius is the one that I'm hearing like even looks even more massive than he did last year. And I remember that was to me the highlight of the spring game last year was watching Zadarius go on the field and be like, oh my! I mean, that is was a total man amongst boys. I tell you who you're going to get that feeling on this year when he walks out there, um, Mikel Horton. Okay, that kid. When I, I had to do a double take at him, they list him on on the roster. You know, six foot one, two thirty five. I thought I was going to see a soft running back. You know, coming out of high school out there. No, this kid looks like a. If you remember what Micah Johnson looked. Oh like, yeah. How he? Everybody just looked at him and 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 gawked at him because he was so thin at the waist, huge in the legs, huge in the upper body, and just this kid looks like that. So they're As not going to. They're not going to. Uh, con- Confuse him with the last year's number four, Raymond Sanders, huh? No, not at all. <laughs> no, this this kid is – he looks like an athlete. Now, granted, there's a lot of depth at running back, which is good and bad. I don't think he's going to have to do anything other than the role they need him to do this year. So if he's not good at pass protection, then they'll use him for other situations. And I don't want to jump around too much, so I want to get back to that running back stuff here in a little bit, but let's stay on the defensive side of the ball a little bit. So at the front seven sounds to me like they're going to be much improved over last year. There'll be a good rotation there. I think the the two defensive tackles, Juco coming in, plus Jacob Hyde, the he's Bell County kid, uh, mixed with I don't know how Matt Elam's going to recover from injury. I'll be interested to see that. He may be in the rotation. I, I don't want to disappoint people that think he was going to come in and well, be a stud right away. I mean, away. I think I've heard I've heard a lot of talk about him possibly Richard. So it, it's very possible. You yeah. know, he he that injury definitely set him back. Uh, it, it, I think there's still a chance he could be in the rotation and be very 
very good next year. But I'll be interested to see how that breaks down when, I, when, we, when it comes to camp. I mean, but part of that's going to be getting him in proper shape. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, he is a big dude. I mean, he has to lose some weight, and he needs to reposition some weight probably more than anything else and uh, to be ready to go out there and play. And I think, he would, I think he would have been ready to do that had he not been injured his senior season. If he would not have gotten that injury at the end of the season, I think, they, I think he'd have been much, in a much better position to do that. But I think, I think they'll be solid at the defensive tackle. I think they're dynamic at the defensive end. I'm not worried about the front seven. I don't know. Well, that secondary is, is what you got to worry about. You know, I'm less worried about the secondary than I am about the linebackers right now. Really? Um, they moved Josh Forrest to middle linebacker. That's an athletic kid. Um, I, don't, I don't know that his, he matches the fluidity and, and reading the game quite as well as some of the other linebackers we've had in the past, but he's an athletic middle linebacker. I think that we'll be athletic at that position. I don't know that we're going to be reading plays as well as we did in the last year. You know he he's got some experience. He's played he's played in, in a lot of a lot of games really. I, I just don't know that he's going to read it quite as well as some of the kids we've had in the past. Um, and, and that's that's my biggest concern right now as linebacker. I think in the secondary, in all honesty, we've got three our, our top three corners coming back. Plus we get JD Harmon back, who set out last year, who was a starter for several games as a true freshman. Uh, then we've got some of the young kids coming in that I'll be interested to see where they match up. And I tell you, the, the safety position, Ashley Lowry, I love him. Uh, Glenn Faulkner, I think, is finally going to be the player he's supposed to be. And Marcus McWilson and Blake McCain both played last year, and I think, I think they're both going to be good. So I, I'm, And then you throw the, the wrinkle in here, A.J. Stamps, the kid that committed over Ohio State right. as a JUCO kid. Everything I've heard about him is that he's a bullet. I mean, there's nobody that hits harder for the size. There's nobody that runs harder, plays harder. The question is, mentally, will he always – be in the right position. And that's what they're working on right now with him. But my understanding is he's an athlete that if he, if he gets you in his sights, he can do he some damage. Some. All right. I like that. Well, then on the offensive side of all, we mentioned that all eyes are going to be on the quarterback position. And the big thing about the quarterback position is who's going to be running out there with that first string offense. I was surprised to hear Stoop say that whoever took the first snap was the leader. I didn't expect him to say that. Um, Maybe he maybe he uh, wants to make a point to both of them, and that's all it is. Or maybe he wants to stir it up and, and get the fans involved. But I was surprised to hear that. Um, I, I think right now I, my guess would be that Tolls is the leader um, just because of knowledge of the system. Which is unbelievable to me just from him making such a leap. Oh, people thought he was going to transfer. There was and, a lot of talk about it. Yeah, I just and I mean, and talking about you know not grasping the system, not grasping the offense, understanding how he needs to play, and for him to improve that much um, to a point, you know, last year is like we knew that he had to be either really bad not to be on the field with what they were doing. To now that it looks like he's you know enough where obviously the coaches had to have that discussion with Jalen Whitlow and say, hey, you know. We got some guys that we feel could be a better option long term. Yeah, I think he saw the, the the writing was on the wall. They had the conversation with him, and I love Jalen. He's a, he's a great kid. I hate to see him go, but I think he he was not going to be the quarterback. He wasn't accurate enough. He he didn't he wasn't going to pass her. But I, I'm really I, I would compare Toll's changeover here to almost similar to an Andre Woodson in, in the way that he it seems like light came on of him for him of how to prepare, how to work out, how to get ready. Um, the, the, biggest, the biggest snag I always had on tolls, besides the middle stuff that we just don't know, is what I, what I saw was the hitch in his throw. He had that Andre Woodson hitch that is a big, you know, a big arm, but he's got to wind it up. 
and that that'll kill you in the SEC. Oh yeah, because that read is coming. Oh, that, that, that gives them a full that. half second read or a split second read. That's that's a step step and a half for those corners in the SEC, and that's a big difference. And does Maxwell Smith even factor into any of this? I mean, is he or is he basically a glorified coach with a scholarship? I'm going to assume that he's a coach. Um, I'm going to assume the reason he did not transfer is because he sees the future where Tyler Sargent is a GA right now. I'm assuming he sees that he could potentially be a GA in the future, and he knows that physically his arm is just never going to be there again. I could be wrong. Yeah, I, I, I haven't mean, talked to the kid. I didn't see him at practice to, to know what's going through his head. But I think most people could watch him and know that his arm's not going to be back it's, to where yeah, it was. It's just, it's just not there from what, from what we saw last year. It doesn't mean it couldn't come back, but I'd say, it's, I'd say the odds aren't with him on that. The one thing that I'm excited about with this offense that a lot of people, we have four stars coming back on the offensive line. I mean, that's going to that's gonna make a huge difference. I tried to get a hold of John Schlarman to kind of pick his brain about that because I'm curious to know who the who's going to take over that right guard spot if he's got it locked down yet or if he's still in a rotation pattern. Based on conversations I've had with, with a few people, the, the offensive line is probably very, 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 very happy with their top four to top six. They need to get more around that eight range to really feel comfortable that they can make it through. A, uh, a good, a good. Uh, yeah. that's, just, that's really a two-game rotation. Eight right. players, ten, ten, ten players in rotation is a season. In the SEC, eight is a rotation in the game. So they need to be able to rotate seven to eight in a, in a given game for sure. And I think that the good thing is a lot of these guys have played multiple positions. So I think they can do a little shifting in there. I'd like to see who the first group is. I tried to watch and I couldn't get a consistent idea of who the first group was. Um, but I think that for returning starters. Even they, even though not all of them will be starters next year, I'd say probably three of the four will be. But I think the the fact that they'll have a, a definite eight man rotation, I'm interested to see if any freshmen play into that. But I, I think they'll have a, a much better seven to eight man rotation this year. Well, the guy that I'm really excited to have back because I, when this guy was healthy, I thought he was just such a dynamic back. It's Josh Clements, and I'm just hoping this kid can stay healthy for a full year because I think he can be a dynamic football player. The good part about Clemens is he, if if Horton's not ready. Um, I think you could very easily see two backs on the field a lot. And I think so. Braylon Hurd and JoJo Kemp both fit the bill of the, the running the jet sweep and also running out of the backfield. So you could very easily see two backs lined up, one of them motion out to kind of occupy linebackers and safeties. And then they can either run out of it or be able to have those, run, have those guys running on pass routes. Uh, that flexibility is going to help them a lot. I think you'll definitely see a lot of jet sweep formations, even if they don't give it to them, just to get the linebackers off step. So Josh fits in the mold of having two backs back there, one of them a 215-pound back, the other one a 200-pound speedster that can get out on routes too. So are we going to be able to see what we were expecting to see last year in a more traditional Neil Brown offense? Like, a, you know, Are we going to see the Texas Tech-type air raid offense, or is it going to be – you know, last year, last year's offense just wasn't that much different no. because it, you know they didn't have the quarterback that could really do it. They didn't have a lot of things that they could do it last year. I think you'll see. I think you'll see Neil Brown's picture of what the SEC version of his offense needs to be. And I think so. I, I do. I think you'll see two backs in a lot of formations, um, knowing that one of them is purely a distraction or purely a sweep or purely an outlet. Um, but I do think you'll you'll still see him running the ball quite a bit. I just think you'll see a lot more of that short passing in space than you did last year because the accuracy should be there amongst these quarterbacks. And we're going to have some speed at the receiver position to be able to pull that off, right? I think 
what I love about it is it may not may not happen this year, but I love the combination of speed and size that we're going to have. Rashad Cunningham, it, I mean, that's a big that's a big cat. He's six foot four, two hundred twenty eight pounds. That's a big guy to be able to throw at somebody in a screen pass or fake the screen pass and send him on. Uh, I think the the combination of speed and size is going to be great. TV Williams, I saw him the other day. He's definitely explosive. He's you know maybe a little dinged up right now. Uh, Thad Snodgrass, I thought he looked very good and very fluid. Didn't always didn't make a few catches that he probably should have, but it's his, you know he's 10, 15 practices in as a freshman. I mean that's understandable. Um, I, I think there's going to be a lot of explosion. I'm really interested to see Ryan Timmons come back. Is Ryan Timmons? I mean, this is a guy that could develop into our next big time star at the receiver position. This is this is the bigger. This is the Randall Cobb version, and to me, we haven't even we haven't even mentioned Demarco Robinson, who's still no. coming back as a senior. Yeah, you know. I'll be interested to see if he's still returning kicks or not. He's the he's the most sure-handed of all of them for sure. But yeah. you might see some freshmen back there too. Um, there's no doubt, Demarco. If we can get the receivers around him and Javis Blue too, I think Javis is poised for a very big year this year if if he can be healthy and, and get out there. Timmons uh, to me is a kid that just it's so exciting to watch him. We just got to figure out different ways to get the ball in his hands, and uh, I, I, I'm excited about what this team can do. So you know. I, my realist tells me four wins is kind of you know the goal that needs to be set for this Kentucky team to continue to build the way they need to build, and that's kind of where I would feel the expectation needs to be. I don't. I could see them though sneaking it out and pulling six together. I could. I could very easily see if if the quarterback develops the way we hope it will. I could see a seven win season possible. I'm don't don't quote me. Don't say I'm saying I'm not saying it's going to be seven wins, but I see the teams on there. That there's some winnable we can play with Tennessee. They're not a world beater right now. They're making a recovery, but they're not a world beater. Mississippi State is down. Vanderbilt's in disarray, and, and Mississippi State's still a solid team with solid talent. But they don't have and a the whole key. Lot of- the key there on that too is that Vandy and Mississippi State are in Lexington. Mm-hmm. They're not on the road. You know, I I think if we get off to a good start, don't drop one of those games that we shouldn't because of freshman and new starter errors which I don't think will with the defense that we have and experience we have unless the secondary just loses it. All right, man. I really appreciate you coming in. Hope you had a good time talking a little football. Anthony Thornton, former Kentucky football player, current State Farm agent. Not State Farm, Farm Bureau, sorry. Current Farm Bureau agent. So uh, just uh, really appreciate you coming by. Uh, I always mix those two up. I apologize. Uh, sorry. So, uh, anyway, we'll be right back on the other side. we got one more hour with me, and I'll be right back on 1450 The Sports Bus. Sports Buzz and also 1330 WVHI in Evansville talking some sports. Mike Indolfo here, the uh, recruiting chair from the Derby Classic. And I just want to remind you guys of some cool Derby Festival events that we got going on. 
this weekend. We got tonight the balloon glow, so make sure you get out there. It looks like we're if the wind dies down right now, it's a little too windy. We're going to have a great weather for the balloon glow. Should be an awesome family atmosphere out there. All kinds of things to do for the kids. And just a beautiful sight if you've never seen it to see all those balloons light up at once when they do the all glows. Should be a lot of fun. And then uh, if you're more of the party scene, make sure you head out to uh, to see the, the festival today. We got a, a big time DJ act coming out going out there tonight. DJ Z Trip is going to be at festival tonight at, at 9. 30 and i know most people won't know that name but he has worked with some big time acts public enemy ll cool j he's open for the roots i mean this guy is as uh, a world-renowned dj and so it should be a great party scene at festival tonight um uh, and then of course tomorrow the great balloon races in the morning i know trevor will be up bright and early catching the balloons won't you be out there trevor I will not be in bed by that point. I will stay awake all night to see the balloon race. To see the balloons. I love it. Okay. And then um, and then on Sunday, we actually have the Kids Fun Run. It's kind of like the kids' ver version of the mini marathon. Uh, the older kids run a mile. The younger kids only run 50 yards. So, we a good time. Go out to the waterfront. Get your kids active. They get a medal, just like they do in the mini marathon. Everyone wins. So, um, great experience. For everyone, I'm, I'm so proud to be a part of just such an awesome community organization that does so much. And for, you know, the impact, you know, 10,000 people out of the Bloom Glimmer last night, it's, it's phenomenal. And so I hope that you take advantage of the Derby Festival events that we have going on this weekend. We had some sort of breaking news happening while we were uh, at break there. It appears that Lexington's Jackson Davis is going to Butler, so he'll join Keelan Martin out of Ballard and uh, in the Butler uh, recruiting class. And, uh, you know, could be a good fit for Jackson. Definitely going into playing into the, uh, to the Big East. And uh, I know Keelan Martin is uh, going to be a great fit for them. They're getting a transfer. McDonald's All-American uh, point guard Tyler Lewis. Uh, Butler making a little bit of a splash there. Uh, you know, it, I was talking a little bit. With the, with the rules changes that the NCAA just recently came out with, it's going to be really hard for the Butlers and those mid-level, those top mid-level Division I schools to now really compete with the schools in the Power Five conferences. And if you guys want to talk about this, please join us, Oxmoor, Fort Lincoln, Buzzline, 502-384-1450. The NCAA coming out and, and giving the Power Five conferences just a little bit more leeway on things that they can do and it's going to create this massive separation because they're going to be the schools that have the money to do this. You know, not only do they have, uh, you know, the food rule came out last uh, last week. Now they can eat as much as they want, and uh, I can only imagine. I mean, you would have to think that, you know, at a place like University of Kentucky, that's got the Wildcat Lodge, and the kids have their own private kitchen. They're going to have a basically probably have a chef in there, eighteen hours of the day maybe to be able to cook for these kids whenever they want it. And uh, it's, it's pretty crazy to think that they can do that. But then now, you know, now that the NCAA is going to allow for some help with these parents traveling to NCAA games, that they're going to make the scholarships multi-year deals, um, that they're going to let them help with some of their health insurance premiums, there's, there's going to be a, a big shift, and the rich are going to get richer. And if we see it, especially in college basketball, we see a two-year rule come in, it's going to be... Very interesting to see how a team like Connecticut, how Cincinnati, Georgetown, 
all those schools that missed out being in one of the top big five conferences, how they're able to compete at that level. Now, of course, we'll probably see the biggest separation in football, as we usually do, uh, but I'm more of a college basketball guy, so I kind of look at the impact of college basketball, but Cincinnati and UConn have put themselves in a situation where it's just going to be very hard for them moving forward, and uh, they're just going to have to go up. What they have to recruit against is going to be hard for them to overcome to get the the top-level talent, and uh, they got to be able to find a way to to get into one of those big conferences. If they're going to be able to find a home, who knows? But, uh, you know, Marquette looks like they could be one of those. Like we said, Georgetown, Providence, Villanova. You know, they're just not going to have the resources available to them that those other five conferences will, and uh, it's it's going to create a division. So uh, the other news, real quick, to kind of just summarize, the Twins are coming back. I'm sure everybody here has heard that now. And then uh, DeAndre Daniels of UConn looks like he's going pro. And we also heard that Mitch McGarry out of extenuating circumstances. And Trevor, I'm sure you have something to say about the Mitch McGarry situation with him failing that drug test. Well, yeah, well, first of all, I don't see anything wrong with it. It's no, no problem whatsoever to me. But I, I don't understand. I mean, I guess it results in why he has to come out because you don't think he should. But, you know, I mean, things happen. And, and if, the, if he thinks the NBA is a better place to go to because he's failing pot tests, I don't think he's making the right decision. Well, I mean, at the same year, though, sitting out another year for him is not going to help him out either. You know, I, he's kind of – he's – put into that situation it's like well do I he's already he missed half the year last year and now he's got to miss a whole year next year when he still has a, a, the he'll still get drafted on potential and at some maybe. point that goes away maybe so, on potential. I mean right now he, he's you, you talk about an example of a guy who needs to strike while the iron's hot this this is a gentleman who, who was looked at as what a, maybe even a, I don't want to say a lottery pick to be accurate but some people thought of maybe a, you know a 14 15 16 Pick last in last year's draft after his freshman season, the hot streak he had in the tournament. And if the Harrison Twins had anybody to look at as an example of making their decision before they made it today, it was Mitch McGarry because he was a guy that moved up from maybe being a second round pick to being a mid first round pick because of how hot he got in the tournament. And as a result, he decided to come back. And now he's looked at as maybe being a maybe being a second round pick. Maybe, maybe being a second round pick. I don't think the Twins though worked themselves up to a point where they were going to be a top twenty pick. And I, but I agree with you. If you're a top 20 pick, you know, I think Montrez was a top 20 pick. I think Willie Cauley-Stein was a top 20 pick. And I think both those guys are making a mistake by coming back because I have yet to come up with one guy that was projected to be a top 20 pick that decided to come back where it helped him. You know, it, it always tends to uh, work the other way. I'm sure they, there's examples that I, I'm, I'm not drawing a blank right now off the top of my head. I know there's got to be examples that, that have improved, but I agree with you. I mean, one – I think Willie Cauley Stein hurts him the most because his potential on going as high as draft as he is is all on potential in the unknown. And if he comes back for one more year and as a result of the depth that Kentucky has is used just sparingly again and doesn't show any improvement, I think that's NBA scouts are going to say, listen, it's now been three years and what we thought we were going to see, you know, we're seeing the same thing we saw as a freshman almost. And why would we take this kid now off the mystery of potential, which you see a lot of kids get drafted by, when we now have three years and he's barely been able to, you know, dethrone Dakari Johnson because of his lack of offensive ability, dethrone maybe a Carl Towns next year because of his limitations and anything but being a rebounder and shot blocker, 
maybe we shouldn't take this kid as high as we think we are. Maybe we should let him slide until maybe the late first round or early second. I don't think he'll ever slide out of the first round, though, because as I've said about the Harrison Twins, when you're a team taking in that late 20s, it, it, it's, if, you get a, if you swing and miss at a prospect like a, like a Harrison Twin or a, or a Willie Collie-Stein or a guy that's on that potential only, un, un, unseen potential, it doesn't affect you because you're already a playoff team anyway. And if you swing and miss, you look at like the Bulls of Marcus Teague. Oh, well, we'll sell them to Brooklyn for some nachos and we'll move on. Well, and then the other part about that, too, is that, you know, Willie Cauley-Stein looks the part, If you, you know, I saw them play five times, and he's the only guy on the floor that you look at that guy and like, oh, my, I mean, that is a complete total NBA body, his length, his skill, his, his athleticism, but just how much bigger he is than everyone else. And I, that's why I don't think he would fall out of the first round. I don't know, think because, he would either. But I, I still feel like he's probably the one that made the biggest mistake out of the twins, out of because I don't count Dakari and Alex. I mean, they could have gone, they could have gotten picked in the second round, but and Dakari might have slid in the top, you know, the last couple picks of the first round. But out of the twins, out of Montrez, and out of Willie Collison, I think Willie Collison made the biggest mistake. I agree one hundred percent. And even if you include Montrez, you said Montrez in that group and with the twins and everybody that came back, I think his mistake, his was the biggest mistake. I, I think Dakari would have. I, I think he would have been a first round pick because. He's. I'm a. I actually. I mean, he might be the biggest man crush I've had on the UK players since Jamal Mashburn, and and the fact that I love guys that are old school, back to the basket, and play with nice footwork and soft hands is one of the reasons why I was a big David Pageant fan at Louisville because of what he did in terms of technique, and that's what Dakari is. If you put Dakari's skills and Willie Cauley Stein's skill together, you're looking at a clear number one pick in the NBA draft and and probably a future Hall of Famer. But unfortunately, there are two people and not one. Well, and then you, it, that, and that skills, those skills are just not taught anymore at the high school level, the AAU level, no. even really at the college level. They, all these big guys are now facing up, and uh, the back to the basket center. I'm, I'm with you. Like I love watching those guys play, and they are, they are few and far between right now. And that, you know, even a kid like uh, Jalil Okafor, who's going to Duke next year, he was kind of progressing that way where he would be a really good back to the basket center and then every, then the people came in and changed him and now he's trying to show how much better he is with a face-up game and they're just they go away from it so it's unfortunate the Dakari is is a rare breed amongst what was once a common a def- a common thing just maybe 25 years ago in the 90s i mean look at look at the nba now you can argue despite the way he's played in this first round Roy hibbard's maybe a top five top ten center in the nba he wouldn't sniff the top 20 probably in 1995 when you look at no. guys like Lajuan Ewing, you know, Mourning, so on and so sure. forth. Yeah, every, every, you had to have a dominant center back then to be a, a legitimate title contender. I mean, you had Akeem, you had David Robinson, you had uh, Ewing, like you said. I mean, all those guys, the, the center position is definitely a lost art. And a lot of that is, is that you get the Durant uh, way of going things where you can be seven foot and be outside handling the basketball, and of course that looks a lot more attractive than banging on another big guy down the block. I agree. And, uh, Unfortunately, the Thunder are realizing what the Heat had had to realize is, despite the fact you don't have a big man, and this is kind of what the Bulls did with Jordan. You still need a guy that scored in low block, and the Bulls with right. that triangle offense would post up Jordan and, and put him with a center like a Cartwright, Longley, produce whomever who was good at facing up and just knocking down stand up sixteen footers. And that's Bill what the Wennington. Heat do with, with LeBron, Bill Wennington, another great example. Uh, and that's what the Heat do a lot of times when they need it with a guy like LeBron James. 
Durant has that's the only part of Durant's game he has not yet grown to, to accustom to, but he's only twenty five years old. So Yeah, well I mean plus he's so skilled on the outside. I don't know if uh I don't know if he ever gets to that point, you know, if they are just, you know, try to develop a kid like Steven Adams to get eventually to where he can be their low post presence and their scorer because I mean Durant's a three. I mean there's no there's no doubt about it. And his his skill level allows him to be that. So and that's going it's gonna be interesting even that way looking at Louisville next year because yes, Louisville's pulling these two seven foot kids, but both of them probably are more fours than they are fives. And uh it it's not gonna be like you're gonna pull in these two seven foot kids and then all of a sudden have this huge inside presence. But it's you, you get more of an inside presence out of the Shinaniwanawakus than you do out of the Anas Osama uh, Mahmoud's. So, uh, I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, again, I, I, I tend to think Willie Cauley-Stein made the biggest mistake, uh, but this Kentucky team is going to be loaded, and they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. And, and we, while he made maybe an individual mistake for his own personal reasons, it's, it's not a mistake for Kentucky because it definitely I, – I, listen, you, you've watched a lot of these incoming kids a lot more than I have with your with your job. And everything, and you would be able to tell me more. All I know is what I've read. I don't. I'm the type of guy that I don't ju- cast my judgment until I watch them on campus in a UK jersey. And with Trey Lyles and Carl Towns, I don't know how they are defensively. Any freshman big man coming in usually is suffering defensively more more than offensively. So bringing a guy like Willie Kai Stein back, even if he is still only going to play 15 or 20 minutes, is definitely going to be something that Kentucky may need if. if because Dakari Johnson, let's be honest, having an all-you-can-eat menu at UK is not a good thing for Dakari. It's gonna <laughs> that that's the worst thing that can maybe happen to him because we might end up seeing another version of Dinner Bell Mel here in, in another year if he, if he if he doesn't follow it right. Look at that! I like <laughs> so, but 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 having Willie Cauley Stein to be able to mix and match with him and and be able to run him anywhere. I mean, if you play the zone defense, which I think Kentucky needs to run a lot more of, even though it's not cows bread and butter. I mean, the matchups alone, the places where you can put people. I was talking to with yesterday with uh, TJ Beiser, and we were talking about you could put Carl Towns at the three. You know, and, yep. and, 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 and just, if you play a zone, you have to play a zone if you do that because smaller guys are just going to fly right past him unless you have Willie Collie back there swatting shots. But even then, it's a, it's a 50-50 chance. You play a zone with that kind of length. I mean, you could put Dakari Johnson where he can just plant himself into the middle. And you put guys like a, a, with Collie Stein on one side and – and Towns on the other. I mean, they, they could go. They could connect hands and, and connect from the one three point line to the other without even missing a, missing an inch of, of, of court. Basically, and then that's. I think you saw that last year when Willie Carr signed got hurt. How much he anchored that defense because yes. Kentucky's uh, weak side defense looked very vulnerable with Willie Carr Stein not there. You know, the chances that they could take with Willie Carr Stein there to kind of clean up. Uh, they couldn't take when he was gone. And and that's the one thing. You have all these big guys, but Willie Colley Stein's still probably the only real rim protector until Marcus Lee develops into more of a shot blocking presence. The other guys really aren't shot blockers. Dakari's not a shot blocker. Marcus uh I mean um Carl Towns is not a sharp blocker either. So uh you know they need that presence for sure just to make, you know, kinda like watching the Rucking Room for the Big East. And John Thompson telling Patrick Ewing just to block everything. It doesn't matter if it's a if it's a goaltender or not, because of the mental aspect of you just blocking everything is going to be a huge uh, deterrent from anyone driving to the basket. Yeah, you, you need to do that, especially for Willie Carstein, because like you said, I, I can't. I don't. You would know better than I would with Towns and 
and, and Trey Lyles is their defense's ability, but I would not be surprised if they were behind the, the eight ball a little bit defensively like most big men are as freshmen. But Dakari Johnson has no defensive ability whatsoever. I mean, I'm as fast laterally as Dakari Johnson. That's a sad thing. So you need well, Willie Collie Stein out there. And like you said, it was it was clear when he went out in the NCAA tournament, even though Marcus Lee picked up as best he could against a very soft Michigan front line, nonetheless still stepped it up. You need Willie Colley out there defensively for even if it's only for twenty minutes in a game. You saw how much I heard him against UConn. Yes. I mean, when Wendy Daniels and, and Brahma and all those guys. So anyway, all right, well let's get to a break. We'll uh, we'll come back. We got forty minutes left to go, and uh, we will be right back on fourteen fifty the sports bus. Here and I am joined. Uh, I'm joined here at Oxmoor Ford by someone who I could just classify as someone that I watched growing up and then someone that I looked up to, even though you know I got a little couple inches on you. <laughs> just a couple, a couple, just a couple. I'm talking with a nine time Triple Crown Stakes winner, a four time Breeders' Cup Classic winner, Pat Day. Probably the greatest jockey of all time. Oh, I like that. Keep talking. Keep talking. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. It's so nice to be on the program with you today. Oh, I'm excited to have you here. And, and, and of course, we're getting ready for the Derby. And I'm a huge, I grew up with horse racing. So I, I grew up, you know, every year for Thanksgiving, that's where my family goes. We take 50 of us out to the track. Mm. And, and my grandfather would always bet on Pat Day. And, uh, you know, a long time going to the Derby. And, and, and so I really did. I mean, I, every year was watching you race and it was such a pleasure what are these jockeys kind of going through this week i mean what is it like for them i mean i guess some of them are still trying to find mounts or are they all pretty much know or well i think i think the riding assignments are pretty pretty well solidified at this time but um uh certainly right now they're most of them are over there in lexington or or up in new york or down in florida or out in california i mean they're they're doing their their job today is is to ride wherever they're at and they're focused on that but uh, I'm sure as they come into town next week and, uh, you know, racing starts here at Churchill tomorrow, uh, a number of them will be coming over from, from Lexington. Uh, and then by the middle of next week, I'm sure they'll, most of, most if not all of them, all of the Derby participants will be in town. And, and uh, you know, there's just no place quite like Louisville, Kentucky on the first Saturday in May. There's, it's just, uh, you know, when you fly into town, you can just, the electricity's in the air. The whole, the whole area gets up for it, and it's a spectacular event well i tell people too that my favorite place in kentucky is the backside of churchill downs the week of derby mm-hmm. and it's got to be a completely different feel for those jockeys though who are not used to having all the hustle and bustle around them as they're trying to really get their real work in you know so how do you avoid those distractions and 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 get your work in that you have to get in and boy you know like i said there's a lot of media requests there's there's people wanting your time and there's you know, TV cameras everywhere. The news is going on in the backside. How do you overcome all those obstacles? Well, you know, in uh, my my first Derby experience, I was kind of caught up in the midst of all of that and was easily distracted. 
but after uh, going through it a couple of times, uh, I finally came to the conclusion that I was going to enjoy it. And when, when, uh, when it came time to put the helmet on and, and go out on the playing field, I was going to put on my game face and, and be ready to, to do my business. And, and uh, I, I think from that point forward, I, I enjoyed it decidedly more. You know, um, I allowed myself the liberty of enjoying as we would, you know, out, uh, for the derby itself, you ride out on a racetrack and are playing my old Kentucky home and you just take in that, that, that sweetness, you know, and, and uh, in that moment. And, and uh, immediately after that, when they break the post parade and you start warming up, you, you, you know, you're totally oblivious to everything else. You're concentrating on your horse and you're getting mentally and uh, mentally in, in the game and ready to participate. Again, we're talking with four-time Eclipse Award winner for Outstanding Jockey, Jockey Pat Day here at Oxmoor Ford. And uh, do you remember your? Obviously, you remember your first Derby mount. Tell me a little bit about your first Derby mount. Uh, first horse I rode in the Derby. First Derby mount was a horse called Music Leader, uh, trained by a good friend of mine, Tommy, Tommy Morgan. Nice little colt, but uh, decidedly overmatched. Uh, you know, he, he was a, a, a long shot in the Derby. Uh, he went on later and, and became a pretty solid little horse, but uh, uh, I remember clearly, uh, you know, never having experienced that uh, when they walked out of the paddock and onto the racetrack and they're playing my old Kentucky home. I got pretty emotional. I got a big old lump in my throat. I got throat. emotional <laughs> just watching, so I can only imagine if I was riding a horse. Oh, uh, well, you know, I, I, like I said, I got emotional, tears were running down my cheeks, got a big lump in my throat, and... and um, I was, I was pretty relaxed. Music leader was behaving himself, and what neither one of us knew was the last uh, chorus of that, you know, everybody grow, joins in, weep no more, my lady, and, and uh, boy, I, it was just so sweet. What we didn't realize was at the conclusion of the song, everybody lets out a rip-roaring yell and clapping and all, you know, just, I mean, everything breaks loose, and um, I didn't know that. Music leader didn't know that, and when that happened, it caught us both by surprise. He jumped. And fortunately, I didn't come off of him. Uh, that would have that made for an interesting first start. But uh, he come on, and, and he ran a decent race. But he, as I said, he was uh, severely overmatched. But um, 22 times I got to ride in that race. And every time, every time without fail, when they, when they played my old Kentucky home, uh, inevitably it would, it would get to me a bit. Yeah, it, it is just an unbelievable moment. And mm. to hear everyone singing, and it just... It gets me. I, every time it's goosebumps for sure, and uh, I love it. So you mentioned 22 times in the Derby. The one win, Lily T, it, it took you a while to get there. Did that make you appreciate it more, or, or were you getting kind of frustrated? I mean, it's such a hard race to run because it's such a, a big field, and, and you were so accomplished going up that point, but you had that last feather that you really, I know, wanted to get. Well, you know, Mike, I, I really wanted to get it, but uh, uh, in 1984, I committed my life to Christ, and that changed my whole outlook uh, on life, on my profession, and, and all, everything in general. Uh, you know, I, I, I realized that I'd been gifted uh, with talent and ability and, and tremendous success in racing, and, uh, but I started standing on the promises of God, specifically Romans 8.28, and it simply says that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I knew I was where God would have me to be. I was doing what God would have me to do. Uh, he'd set me free from the bondage of drugs and alcohol. Uh, and, and so I went into every race physically, mentally prepared as well as I could possibly be. But I was willing to leave the results in the hands of the Lord, knowing it was going to work for my good and his glory. And, and so that kind of eliminated the fear of failure and allowed me to accept the outcome of the race. My, my desire was to be either a humble winner or a gracious loser. Now, getting back to the Kentucky Derby, absolutely, I wanted to win that race. 
And, uh, you know, I felt that, that uh, there was going to, you know, we, we were going to get there. I just didn't know when. But as far as being frustrated, no, I really wasn't. I was excited at the, at the opportunity to be there. Uh, I'd run second on several occasions previous to 92 when, when we were fortunate enough to win on Little E.T. Uh, and, and you're probably right. The longer the wait, the sweeter the taste. Maybe, maybe I had a greater appreciation for it uh, when I did finally win it. And uh, it couldn't have come at, 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 a, at a, you know, the connections with Little E.T. Uh, my good friend, uh, trainer Lynn Whiting, uh, and the owner, Mr. Cal Partee, longtime friends and supporters of mine. We'd had a tremendous amount of success together leading up to the Derby. And, and so to, to be a part of the team that afternoon was uh, just extra, extra special. Absolute highlight of my 32-year career. So what was it like when you finally crossed that finish line? And, you know, the, the, what I love about horse racing is a guy like me can invest into a horse and I could win the Derby, mm -hmm. you know, and... We hear stories like that all the time. And now, you being a professional and chasing that, and I know how much the Derby had to mean to you, crossing that finish line, I mean, it would be like the biggest sports dream of the world for me to be able to be on an ownership side of that. As the jockey, win that Derby in 1992, I mean, take us through that emotions and what that, what that was like. You know, Mike, I, I have thought long and hard about that. I've tried to come up with the words that would adequately express or describe that feeling. Uh, there aren't any. Uh, it was just um, uh, nearly an out-of-the-body experience. It was uh, having, having run second several times, I thought I knew what it would feel like. I thought I knew the, you know, the height of the emotions. Well, if I thought the emotions were about at the ceiling here, it was just they were really just the other side of the moon. I mean, it was uh, really, really absolutely indescribable. And, and uh, uh, I often said after that, uh, I think the only thing better than winning it once would be to win it twice, and I, I never got that accomplished, but it certainly was the highlight of my, of my 32 year career. Well, you got a lot accomplished, though. I mean, <laughs> oh, we had a great career. I'm, I'm not complaining. Uh, I, was, I was happy to have been able to participate and extremely overjoyed that, uh, that the Lord would allow me the opportunity, the privilege, and the pleasure of experiencing that victory in 92. All right, before we talk about this specific derby, let's talk uh, just about the state of horse racing right now in general. Uh, we're spoiled here in Louisville. People don't understand that not all these other tracks are the size of Churchill Downs or can even handle the crowd of a Churchill Downs. I've been to a Breeders' Cup at a couple other tracks, and you know they're not equipped to handle the big crowds like we are here at Churchill Downs. Mm -hmm. How do you do? You think horse racing is, is stabilizing? Do you think it's, it's on the increase? You know, we've we've had the uh, a lot of horse racing has been benefited by casino gambling at other parks. We've seen some purses go up. Just overall, the state of horse racing right now, how, how would you rate it? Well, I, I think we've got some major hurdles in front of us. Um, you know, there's such tremendous uh, competition for the expendable cash, for the, for, uh, the entertainment dollar, <clears throat> excuse me, if you would. And, and uh, I think that we've, we've kind of gotten off the blocks a little slow um, in regards to, to solidifying our fan base. I think that, um, uh, I think that years ago when the, competition started to rise up we didn't take the competition seriously and they kind of got the jump on us and now uh you know the the people have found other places and other other means other other ways to spend their expendable cash and uh, we've we've allowed our fan base to dwindle uh, what can we do or what do we need to do to to win them back i, I don't know i don't have the answer for that but uh, i've just found that that uh, our fan base has dwindled enthusiasm towards the sport of horse racing has dwindled and I, I really don't believe that uh, casino gambling 
is the alternative answer. gambling is, is the answer. I think the two go together like water and oil. I, I don't think they mix. Uh, you know, people that go to the casinos go to the casinos. And uh, people that go to horse racing go to horse racing, and they might frequent the casino. But the people that go to casinos, they don't, they don't care about horse racing. And they, they want to go and play the slots or whatever the table games or whatever it is that, that interests them. Uh, they want the fast, fast action. They don't want to, you know, they, 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 there's very little, if any, crossover from the, the casino slot machine table games players to, to horse racing. Now, a horse player, I think if they've had a good day, uh, they feel like their luck is good, uh, there's a good chance that they'll stop off at the casino if it's readily available and, and play a little bit. So I, I don't see that as a long-term solution. I see that as a Band-Aid cure for a long-term problem. And uh, by them not getting it here in Kentucky, my hopes are is that the powers to be would put their heads together, put their thinking caps on, figure out what they need to do, what they can do to win back the fan base and reestablish horse racing as a great sport uh, and great viewing uh, venue that it, that it really is. It's a, it's a sport of kings. And there's nothing like watching the horses charge down the, down the stretch. Uh, used to walk out on the tarmac and experience them Killer horses thunder. running by and the, and the ground actually thundering under yeah. the hooves. I mean, you know, you can't get that out of a slot machine or a table game. Well, I know, like uh, my great one of my greatest sports moments was, you know, I've gotten involved in these syndicates and because they're, mm -hmm. they're just a lot of fun. That first picture I got to take in a winter circle mm -hmm. Churchill Downs, it's about as good as it gets. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, but and, and to the point, I think Churchill Downs has been fairly innovative on what they've tried to do to attract, especially the younger fan mm -hmm. base, with the mm -hmm. with the night racing, uh, and and you know now they're putting in the big screen out there so that the people in the infield can actually see a horse race. Uh, it's, That'll be a first. <laughs> it will be a first. <laughs> Definitely be a first. Uh, this is about as deep of a derby field as we've seen. I mean, I, there, it's, you know, I think, what, we've had 34 derby prep races, maybe won by 31 different horses. Uh, that might be right. It's, it's in that normal. Um, I'm not sure about the number, but it sounds right. Right. And uh, how much of it is skill and how much of it is luck to win this race? Oh, I think it all has to come together. Yeah, you know, I I think you have to have a horse that's obviously uh, properly prepared and and ready for a good effort, and you have to get the brakes in the race and and uh, be ready to step up to the plate. And uh, it's a life, it's a chance of a lifetime and a lifetime of chance. And and uh, you know, it's um, yeah, it's it's a deep field, highly competitive as it always is, and decidedly difficult to pick the winner. Mm -hmm. Do you have any kind of early favorites that you like? Well, you know, I, I watched that horse that won the Santa Anita Derby and... and um, California Chrome. Uh, yeah, California Chrome. And, and he was most impressive uh, and has been in his earlier races. Uh, I watched most of the, most of the uh, prep races coming up to it. And, and he was the one that, that you know, kind of grabbed my eye. He, he was... It didn't look like he really extended himself. He wasn't really pressured and kind of galloped away from the field in most impressive fashion. Uh, but there's been some stellar efforts by a lot of the other horses. So that's and then there's the the case where you know I think the, his owners bought the his the mare for, for like eight thousand dollars and then they bred her for twenty five hundred dollars and then here you have this you know maybe a super horse you know that as far as how well he's ran mm -hmm. uh, coming up to the Derby and they've only got you know maybe ten grand into her yeah or him so. It's pretty amazing. And, and trained by the young man, Art Sherman. Oh, yes, uh, the 77-year-old <laughs> Art Sherman. I mean, it's, you know, the, the, the racing industry, what other industry can you come up with so many stories, you know, of, of such 
such a, a wide range of, uh, you know, it, it just, it's just incredible. It's it, just incredible. It truly is. I mean, it, it just there's nothing else like it. Mm -mm. So, absolutely not. Uh, and you'll be around Churchill Downs then for because you do a lot of the ministry work there on the backside. Of the very, doctors. very involved with ministry. As a matter of fact, uh, the bulk of my time is spent ministering today. I, I call myself a full-time evangelist. Uh, I believe the whole world is is uh, made up of two groups of people: those that know the Lord and those that don't. And as I make my way through the course of the day, those that know the Lord, I want to encourage them in their walk. Those that don't, I would like the opportunity to introduce them to the Lord and, and uh, encourage them to taste and see that the Lord is good. But uh, yeah, I'm very involved with the racetrack chaplaincy, uh, racetrack chaplaincy of Kentucky. We have a great ministry going on out there. Have a wonderful event coming up on Monday evening, the, the primary fundraiser for the Kentucky chaplaincy. Uh, it's called the Race for Grace. Uh, and I'm very involved with the ministry here in Middletown that my wife started 10 years ago called uh, 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 Winning... Uh, Mom's Closet Resource Center. Forgive me, honey. I, I pulled a blank. Mom's Closet Resource Center that's uh, uh, helping single mothers to break the cycle of government uh, dependency by helping them to get an education, get a vocation, uh, get a job, and cycle back into the workforce, uh, thereby breaking the cycle of government dependency. Making a real difference. Amen. Amen. I'm so proud of her and the work that she's doing. And uh, uh, we don't deal with a large number, but um, uh, the ones that we're dealing with are making a difference, and we're happy happy about that. And tell us a little bit more about the Race for Grace. Can people get involved and, 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 and help uh, you out? I, yeah, I don't know if there's any tickets left available, but you could certainly go online and, and uh, or call the racetrack and contact the, uh, the chaplain's office and, and inquire about that. Uh, I, and I believe that Mom's Closet now, they're hosting two events. They've got an event tomorrow night called the, the Night of Silks. And we're sold out on that. And then they have one on Wednesday afternoon that's uh, special for, for ladies. It's called the Winning Purse Luncheon. And I don't know if there's any any uh, uh, if there's any tickets left available for that or not either. But you could certainly uh, call Mom's Closet Resource Center in Middletown. And uh, you don't need a ticket to give either. Oh no, no, absolutely <laughs> not. You can write your check to MCRC and send it in, or uh, Kentucky RTC and and send it in, and uh, you're. Your help would be greatly appreciated and well used. I promise you. Well, I'm, uh, I'll start being on the backside every morning on Sunday. So I'll, hopefully I'll see you back there. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Well, it's great to be on with you, Mike. I wish you well with your investment in, the, in horse racing. I, you know, two I think horses this meet. I got two, two horses. horses. Two awesome. Horses. Awesome. So. Well, you know, the syndication is a great idea because it gives individuals the opportunity to get involved and spreads out the risk. Because, you know, it's a very high-risk investment and uh, minimizes the risk, but it doesn't diminish the joy. Oh, no, the fun. Uh, one, the two, or 20 that are involved in the ownership, you can share equally. You know, um, uh, a shared joy is doubled. A shared sorrow is, is half. I don't care if I make a dime. You just don't want to have to pay back in. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I wish you the best of luck. Happy Derby 140 to one and all. Let's have a blessed and safe week. All God right. bless you. Thanks a lot. Pat Day again. Thank you very much, Pat. My pleasure. All right. We will be right back here on 1450 The Sports Bus.
Mike over to Craig Brom. He'll take you from five to six. And uh, so we've just a couple more minutes left to go on the show. And I, of course, love talking about some Cincinnati Reds baseball. The Reds got off to a t- just a terrible start. Three and eight had the worst record in Major League Baseball there for a while. And then they have roared back over their last nine games, going seven out of their last nine to now even their record back up and uh, at 500. And they're on an absolute tear. And uh, again, it, to me, it all starts and stops with, the, with Billy Hamilton. Billy Hamilton over the last seven games batting 333, still has eight strikeouts. So that's the thing. Billy Hamilton has to learn how to become more of a selective hitter. He just swings at way too many bad pitches, and he has to realize that him getting on base any way possible is such a weapon, and becoming more of the selective hitter, it's, it, that's what the Reds have to have. they got to get this guy to have a strong on-base percentage because even though he's, only, he's batting 333, his on-base percentage is only 345, so it's just barely higher. You know, so eight strikeouts uh, and, only, and, and not a single walk in that last seven games. So we need Billy's hitting the ball well. Got to make sure that he is uh, taking care of, of, of just better pitch selection, you know, because if he gets on base, and that's why Brian Price made the change he did to hit Joey Votto second so that he would have to get better pitches. He gets on base, you know, if he gets on first, it's basically a double because you know a guy's still on second. It could be a triple because half the time he's going to steal third. So, uh, Billy Hamilton keeps going at a high pace. This Red team's got, uh, got a chance. The other person that's got to really play is the starting pitcher tonight in Atlanta uh, for the Reds will, is Homer Bailey. Homer had a really nice outing last time against Chicago, hoping that he is able to go out and perform uh, at a big-time level against tonight in Atlanta in the this, in this series with the Braves uh, on the road. So it could be a pivotal three games here for, for the Reds early in the year. Just to kind of they got this momentum going. Now they're going to play – uh, you know, another opponent outside of their division and uh, hopefully can start this, uh, this road swing, short road swing, but, you know, three-game road swing against the Braves before they come home against for, with three with the Cubs and then a pivotal series with the Red Hot Brewers on uh, May 1st through May 4th. And if you, uh, you know the Reds are actually doing a really cool May the 4th promotion uh, for that series with the Brewers where you can get really cool Reds, Star Wars type uh, merchandise. I think they're giving away a poster, a T-shirt. Um, it should be really cool. If you're not going to Derby or the Oaks, you may want to head up to Cincinnati and get some of those May the Fourth things when the Reds take on the Brewers. Uh, and, and real quick, I want to pitch real quick that you know you can tune in tomorrow from nine to eleven for the weekend sports buzz. And I'm really excited about tomorrow's show. We're gonna have a very special guest in studio with me tomorrow. It's gonna keep it kind of a surprise. I've been. Uh, a guy that I've been wanting to do a radio show with for a long time. I'm really excited about We're going to talk uh, about the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs. We're going to talk about all the stuff that's going on in our colleges around here lately. And, uh, but I'm really, what I want to get into tomorrow on the weekend sports buzz from 9 to 11 is I want to start hashing out the different ways that we look at handicapping horses. And, you know, we're getting right up to it. we got night racing tomorrow at Churchill Downs, which is always a ton of fun. And we got, you know, I'm, I'm definitely getting out to the track within in the next two weeks, at least four times. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about the different ways we handicap races, what works, what doesn't, and try to come up with, you know, I guess you can't always have the perfect system, but maybe give some people tips of the different ways that we kind of look at. I'm, I am by no means a professional. Actually, I feel like I'm worse of a handicapper now that I kind of vaguely know what I'm looking at and know what I'm doing than I was 
back when I was just a kid and picking the number and picking the colors. Uh, but hopefully that we can kind of feel that out. My, uh, my co-host is going to be someone who is a, is a fairly good handicapper. Uh, it's kind of grown up with it similar to what I have. And uh, it, it should be a lot of fun. So tune in tomorrow, Weekend Sports Buzz 9 to 11. Make sure you call in, Oxmoor Ford, link a buzz on 384-1450. want to let you know real quick about the golf cart again. Uh, the, we're having the Derby Week special. You can get the Indiana golf cart for 75 bucks. Includes round with cart at Chariot Run, the Jeffersonville Elks, Valley View, and Christmas Lake Golf Course in Santa Claus, Indiana. The Kentucky golf cart is going for 115 this week with the Derby Week special that we got going on. You get uh, the round in the cart at Chariot Run, Heritage Hill, the Polo Fields, Glen Oaks, Woodhaven. Go ahead and get both carts. Play all of those courses for $190. Uh, it's an incredible buy, an incredible gift for someone if you know someone who needs a graduation present. I want to say thanks to Oxmoor for, for having us out here. Salsaritas, again, if you need someone to uh, cater your derby party or graduation party, uh, Salsaritas providing us with the food. And just really excited. What an incredible day. Pat Day. I just can't even get over that. You know, I got the chance to sit here with Pat Day and, and hear some of those old horse racing stories. And it's just, it was a very special moment to, to be here. And, uh, and we're thankful for all of it, for sure. So, uh, again, get out to those Derby Festival events. Wear your Pegasus pins. Head out to uh, the Festival for some great music. They're going to have live music going on all the way up to Derby Week. we got one more week of, of live music. And we're going to get into what I think is just an incredible week. We've got the boat race coming up on Wednesday. we got the parade on Thursday. It's a great day. To, it's a, just a great time to get out there and celebrate our community. And uh, I just want to thank you guys for listening. I'll see you guys in the morning, 9 to 11, 1450, the Sports Buzz. And i am talk to you guys next time. Make sure you stay tuned for Greg Brom here on the other side. Well, uh, I'm out. <laughs>